Pastor Murray and I have been sharing a series with you on the topic, what do you want in life? What do you want in life? I hope you've been thinking about what's really important to you as we've gone down through things like joy and peace. We've talked about, Pastor Murray preached last Sunday about contentment. We've been talking about the authority of the Word of God. We're talking about what God wants to do for you. And if truth be told, many times people are asking, I need this, I want that, I'm looking for this, I'm looking for that. And we all have circumstances and situations that would really help if something happened, a new job, a breakthrough. I was just talking to three new couples in a lobby this morning. They're, they're all firefighters, and uh, one of them was involved in the, in, the, in the tremendous fire that was happening last night in Mill City. He was telling me about all of that. And I thank them all for what they're doing. They're tired. They came to church nonetheless with their families, uh, even though they were out all night working. And what a joy to be in the presence of a God who knows how to refresh you, and help you. And it's his presence that makes all the difference. Praise God. <clears throat> you know, power is an important commodity. And I, I want to talk to you about power this morning. Because I believe the greatest thing that we could have, one of the greatest things that we could have in our life, is power. I want to talk, talk to you about that this morning. Growing up in, in the Chicago area, I went to a, a high school, Niles West High School. And the uh, same high school that James Garland, the uh, almost Supreme Court attorney, uh, attorney general, but he was, he was up for to be appointed. Uh, President Obama nominated him in the way that things went. He didn't get uh, his name brought up, but he and I graduated from the same school the same year. And, uh, but anyway, growing up and being a part of a school that had four or 5,000 students in it, it was a, when, the, when the bells rang and you had to run to the next classroom, the upperclassmen enjoyed standing large and tall in the, in the aisles, and this, the lowly freshmen were pushed around and slammed this way and that, and books were dropped out of your hands by the kindness of these elder statesmen. You understand? Some of you have ever been in that kind of a... And you just say, one day, one day, I'm going to be big enough to do something about this. One day, I'll have my day. One day, I'll be, be able to kick sand in your face, you know, like the guys on the beach and all that. Anyway, we long for power in our lives, don't we? History has told the story of misused power. In 1941, 79 years ago... Tomorrow, the Japanese Air Force attacked Pearl Harbor and virtually collapsed our naval presence there. The battle lasted an hour and 15 minutes, and when it was over, 2,403 of our sailors and uh, soldiers were dead. 1,178 were wounded. A number of them passed away later as a result of the attack. Six of our ships were either destroyed or sank, and um, 169 aircraft, fighter planes, and so forth were uh, destroyed as well. Isn't it interesting that in 1945, uh, Americans had said, we will never forget. And in 1945, that battle, that war was overcome, and it was victorious. Now today, Japan and America, we are friends, and we are workers together in the economies of global matters. And it's amazing how power, when exerted the wrong way, can cause such devastation. But when it's working the right way, it can create, create great partnership. Don't you agree? And that's important for us to know. <clears throat> 
Many of you have come today with concerns about issues of your life. Some are here needing new work. Uh, businesses have been shut down. Government overreach has been difficult to deal with. It's difficult um, with school not being in session, many students going through frustrating moments. Depression is at an all-time high in our, in our region, and we know that there's a need for power. Now, this morning, I want to focus on three aspects of power that I think are important that we should think about for a moment. First of all, we need power over sin. Not just a few of us, all of us. Power over sin. What every person in the world needs is a demonstration of power that can wash away our sin and the consequence of that sin and make us right with God. Do you know that God is not willing for anyone to die in their sin? He wants everyone to come to a place where they're forgiven and where they can be, you know, assured of heaven when our life comes to his end or Jesus comes to pay, re retrieve us. You can have the most money you can be a Bill Gates and you still will not be able to pay your way into heaven. You can be a Mother Teresa and give your life away in helping poor, poor and broken people and it still won't be enough to get you into heaven. We need power and understand the importance of power. Power over sin. And how is that demonstrated? I just believe that power is demonstrated to erase our sin. Can you think of anything more wonderful that you and I having a, a whole list of sins, every sin we've ever committed is listed in heaven, in the books of heaven, and all of a sudden you release faith from your heart in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and what happens? The record is cleared. Every sin you've ever committed, wiped away. That is a glorious thing. You see, Jesus told Nicodemus, the most moral, righteous man of his day, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again, man. You, you don't have enough goods to get to heaven in the way you're living. And he told them in, in John chapter 3 and verse 3, Truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. I was doing a funeral for, for a, a, a man in our church that had come from a hopeless alcoholic circumstances. He was, about, he was the town drunk, gave his heart to Jesus, and Jesus filled him with the Holy Spirit, made him a light bulb. Uh, he was a, com a compassionate man. Everything changed with that guy, and uh, what a wonderful thing to watch. And so there was a man who is a fellow former drunk of his at the, at the graveside service. He said, I believe in all, that, in all that Jesus stuff, but I'm not into this born-again business, but I'm going to heaven anyway. And I had to contend with him and explain to him that that was not the right vantage point. You've got to be born again, Jesus said. In verse 5, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. I want to kind of focus on this for a moment. Jesus was referring to spiritual transactions that only he can do. I need to understand the power of Jesus washing me clean. I think it's such a, such a wonderful, wonderful thing to consider. And everyone in the world wants to be free. Everyone wants to be pardoned. Everyone wants to go to heaven. Did you know that over 85% of American people believe in heaven? Most people believe in heaven, but a lot of people don't know how to get there. 
We call it regeneration. Paul writes to, the, to, to Titus, a young preacher, and tells him these words of explanation. Titus 3, verse 5. He saved us, speaking of Jesus, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So the imparting of life to broken people like you and me who surrender their life to Jesus is what this is all about. Through this process, eternal life, or zoe, is released to us. There's two kinds of life that are described in the New Testament. One is natural life. That is like you just drag yourself out of bed and you just go, ooh, one more day. Like a rat on a, on a wheel. Just go, got to go and do our thing, got to go do our thing. Gotta do. That's, that's natural life. It's like animals. But then there's a different word for life in the New Testament called zoe, and, and it refers to the kind of life that only God can give. And he's, he's, he's redirecting our understanding here to remind us that life is what Jesus offers. He's the only one who can offer it. This is the only place to find it. Zoe comes from Jesus alone. Now notice, how do you get that? In John 1 and 12, Jesus said, not yet to all who did receive him, I'm sorry, John said this, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now notice, I've got to receive, I've got to open my heart in faith to say, Jesus, I want to receive you. In a few moments, we'll give those of you who have a desire to receive Christ, you'll be given an opportunity in this place right now. But to those who believed in his name, he gave the right or the authority or the power to become the children of God. Isn't that an amazing thing? That God would take an enemy of God, that God would take someone ill-qualified in our natural state, because we've all sinned, to be able to be qualified to go to heaven. How did it happen? You received his mercy. Amazing thing. So regeneration is where God cleanses us, our hearts, removes our sin, and the consequence of that sin. The psalmist said it this way, Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. Now, the east is never going to meet the west. Once your sins are taken from you, they will, never be ta- they will never be held against you again, according to God's word. Is that power or what? I heard one guy over here say, that's yes, that's power. I'm asking you, I'm going to give you one more chance. Is that power or what? I say that's an awesome thing to think about. 1 John 1, 9, this is how he says in the New Testament, if, if, it's a big if, if we confess our sins, Jesus will be faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I need to understand the power that he offers over sin. Notice in addition, once you come to Christ, the Lord wants you to understand the power to overcome ongoing sin. Now, could I just remind you, not one of us is perfect here. And there'll be things that will come along your way, temptation or mistakes. You'll say something, you'll do something, you go, oh, why did I do that? Lord, forgive me for, for those things. Now, this is what we need to understand. 1 John 1, 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him, and we declare to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If... We can claim, if we claim to have fellowship with him and still walk in darkness, we are lying and we do not live out the truth. But 
You see the English word but changes the whole equation from going in this stream, now it reverses. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, purifies us. Notice the tense, continues to purify us from all sin. This is not a license to be carnal and to live like you used to live before Jesus came in. But if there are mistakes that are made, we, we see what he's... Like, can you, you know, you tell your family or, or your mother, your father telling you, hey, wash your hands. When's the last time you washed your hands? You know, there's a lot of sickness going around, a lot of symptoms. What are we going to do? We're going to stay clean. We're going to walk carefully. This passage refers to the ongoing work of sanctification. I don't like those big terms, do you? I, I want to know what they mean. What does sanctification mean? It means separation. I'm being separated from the old way I used to live and separated to the way that pleases God. That's sanctification. I'm, I'm willing to do that, and I need to do that, and the power of God is available to help make me follow in, the, in those steps. So there's a need for continual purifying. So what do we do about that, Pastor? Tell me, what do we do? When's the last time before you went to bed at night you said, Lord, before I close these peepers, could I just ask you, is there anything that offends you that I've said or done these last few days or today? Is there something that is between us right now? Have I had a bad, lousy attitude towards somebody? Have I said something I should? Please forgive me. Let me make it right. How do we gain this power? Verse 7 tells us, Learn to walk in the light because there's power for you when you and I live a life pleasing to God. There's power in that. He will help us. Now let's think about a little, you know, how do we, let's go beyond just things that we want to clean up and all of that. Let's think about power to live above sin. Power to live above the sin. You know, there's a lot of people that are being sick, a lot of people going through stuff. You can live, you can live above. You can live above. Um, when we talk about sin, it's like taking precautions, doing stuff that you need to do. Romans chapter 6, verse 11, in the same way Paul writes to believers now, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Sin, the Bible says, has pleasure for how long? For a season. And he said he wants us to live above it. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you obey its evil desires. So as a real follower of Jesus, how many of you are real followers of Jesus? Raise your hand. You and I need to know that we need to consider ourselves dead to the old way we used to live. The cursing, you know, man, I don't feel good today. Could somebody give me something that'll pep me up? Well, everyone's doing it. You know, I'm sorry. I don't live that way anymore. I'm dead to those things. Romans chapter 6, verse 13. How does this happen? You say, no, devil. I'm sorry. I'm dead to these things. I'm just trying to help you this morning to see the need of power in our lives. Romans 6.13, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life 
and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Oh, I don't know about you, I desire power over sin. I do not want my head to be on his wall. I don't hunt, um, it's just time for a little confession time. I don't hunt, I'm a little soft for the animals. I know that's offensive to many of you, I understand that. I do eat beef, I eat chicken, I do eat all, but I just don't like, bam, you know, something bothers me about that. I'm happy for those that do. But you know what? We gotta be very, very careful that we live our life in such a way that we go, God, I want to bring glory to you. I want my life as an instrument of righteousness. I talked to a man the other day, a friend, and above his desk in his office, he has this huge buffalo head. And so I've asked him about the buffalo, and he's told me how he polished him off and everything, and how many hundreds of pounds he was. And he's all excited to tell me. He's told it to me twice. On the airplane the other day, I was watching a hunting video. They were showing how to hunt elk in the high ground, and the elk was standing there. Bam! And it just seemed so unfair. Anyway, I'm feeling so much better now. That has nothing to do with the sermon. I just wanted you to know that... If you want your head on the devil's wall, just stand there and don't do anything. Instead, I'm going to run, I'm going to, I'm going to reckon myself dead from those things, and I'm going to say, Lord, I'm going to please you. And if you're offended that I'm, I'm not down on hunters, praise God for hunters, you go do it and tell me how good it was, okay? And share a little bit of the elk with me. <laughs> All right, I desire power over sin, but notice secondly, I want to understand power over my words. Power over my words. Once you and I come to Christ, we begin to recognize the power of our words. So let me, let me just break this down for a moment like this. We need to understand the power of our declarations. I need power over what I say. Instead of just blurting it out. I'm sorry, it just came out. I'm sorry, just the way it is. Well, you're going to have to dust a lot of stuff up. You talk bad about somebody, it's like taking, Bonnie was telling me the other day, reminding me about taking a pillowcase full of feathers to the top of the Empire State Building and shaking it out, and then you go, and the wind takes the feathers everywhere. And then you go, I want to take that back. Well, how are you going to do it? You're going to have to travel hundreds of miles to get all those feathers back. And it's just like our words, if you say something that you shouldn't have said, boom, what a mess. Proverbs 13.3, I hope you'll take careful notice of the scriptures. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to, help me, ruin. That's not good. That's not good. Proverbs 15.1 and 2, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of a fool gushes folly. Be careful how you talk. Your words will reveal if you are a wise person or a fool. Don't be upset with the messenger. I'm just delivering the bread. That's what God says. Right words will breathe life into every situation you're confronted with. 
Proverbs 15.4, a soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Here's what I know about joy in life. You will have joy by what you say, if you say the right things. I want you to see the power of that. Proverbs 15.23, a person finds joy in giving an apt reply, and how good is a timely word. I'll speak to the married men for a moment. You can get yourself in the doghouse real fast by saying the wrong things. I know that none, no man, no married man in the house has ever experienced that. I have before. Joy comes from speaking right things at the right time. Your words determine which of your dreams are going to live or die. If you don't have any goals, you'll hit it every time. You'll hit the bullseye every time. You're not aiming at anything. But if you have goals for your life, write them down. Pray about them. Let God give you vision and plan for your future. Amen. Your words will determine what dreams. Most of you are young people here in this audience. Have dreams and visions and plans. Amen. Old men dream dreams. Young men see visions. Have visions about what God wants to do. Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has the power of life and death. Those that love it will eat its fruit. The timing of your words will determine your success or failure in almost any situation. The timing. Fools, Proverbs 29.11, fools give full vent to their rage. I'm sorry, I'm just going to tell you how I feel about it. You just blew something up. Aren't you powerful? Now go ahead and clean up the debris. Won't that be fun? The wise bring calm in the end. Most of our strife in life can be traced to somebody's ill-timed words. Proverbs 16:28: A perverse person will stir up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. I need to understand the power that comes through what I say and what I don't say. Let me talk a little further about power in our choices. Power in our choices. I want power, don't you? I want power. I want to understand it. My life's verse, I hope you, may, I hope you have a life's verse or maybe a couple of verses that really clang the bell about what you're trying to do with your life, what you feel God wants you to do. Here's one that I have for many years stuck my, my heart upon. First Samuel chapter 3 and verse 19. The Lord was, was with Samuel when he grew up and let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. You know if God's with you and your words don't fail but they bring to pass what he wants, you probably have a pretty great life. If you go down to two verses beneath that psalm, first, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 21, and the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. That's where Samuel lived. And there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Samuel became one of the greatest heroic leaders in Israel's history. He was judge, he was prophet, he was personal helper to kings. He anointed kings. He was a man whose legacy is epic. 
And the Bible says God was with him and he appeared to him. In other words, Samuel made choices to honor God and to hear his word and do what God said. And he would speak for God. The, the Lord didn't let any of his words fail. Can you imagine how wonderful and powerful that is? Samuel displayed power in his choices. Who he spent time with. The Lord was with him, and God appeared to him. Power, life, is what he enjoyed. Of all the things I desire, I need to tell you that I desire power in my life like this. Which brings me to my third and final point. I talked about power over sin, power over my words. Thirdly, I want to talk about power over circumstances. Every one of you is going through some kind of circumstance of some kind that's probably very new, unexpected perhaps, unanticipated. I never thought that there wouldn't be one restaurant open in our city. I couldn't have ever dreamed that. I would never have thought that no student can go to school in a public school here in our city, in this region. I would never have thought that. I would never have dreamed it. There's circumstances that we're facing that are bizarre. But I'd like to also say to you that throughout history, there's been many circumstances that were unexpected, and God is still looking for people whose hearts are strong towards him. The Bible says that the Spirit of God is searching the whole earth, seeking to show himself strong on behalf of someone. Would that someone be you? Are you going to it's not that big of a deal to me. Or are you going to be, I'll be that guy. I want God. I want his presence. I want his power flowing in my life. I'll, be, I'll pay the price. So listen carefully these next few moments. The power of the Holy Spirit is available to anyone who wants it today. Did you hear me? If you didn't hear me, wave your hand, so I'll say it again. The power of the Holy Spirit is available to anyone who wants him today. Amen. Jesus declared before he went to heaven these amazing words in Acts 1 and verse 8. But you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You shall receive power. I'm intrigued by what God has said is ours if we want him. What shall we accomplish through the Holy Spirit's presence in us? What will you accomplish through the Spirit's power and presence in your life? You say, well, I get kind of squirmy when you talk about the Holy Spirit and about his power. and I could never be a witness. I mean, I'm a bashful person. You're looking at the most bashful person you, you could ever see right here. Truly. It's a truth. And I just want to say to you that the message of the church is in one capsule, Jesus is alive. His word works. He will help you if you ask him. One of our 
long-standing men in the church, a retired professor from Northwest University, came to me at the end of the second service and told me that he had been out fishing Tuesday with, or was it Tuesday, Bonnie? Tuesday with one of his buddies, and his boat got washed over with a rogue wave, and he almost drowned. He was telling of the experience where he knew that it was over. And he said, God, I need your help now. And he said he heard a voice, said, roll over on your back and float. Because he couldn't swim. He rolled over on his back, and through a series of events, God miraculously spared him. And um, I'm here to remind you that call upon me in the day of trouble, God said, and I will deliver you. We heard testimony just this morning. Jesus is still healing the sick. He's still delivering people. He's still fulfilling dreams. He's still providing amazing awareness of his glorious presence. You know, most cultists, Buddhists, Islamic, uh, Taoist, Hindu, Jehovah's Witness, they all believe that Jesus was a great teacher and a great prophet, but you know what the problem is? They don't believe he's alive. Bonnie and I, and some of you probably, have been into Jerusalem and you've been to a certain grave area that Jesus was buried in. I've been in that tomb. And you want to know something? There's nobody in there. If you go to Buddha's tomb, you'll find him. He's mummified there. If you go to Muhammad, you'll find out where they buried him. Jesus is not dead. He's not in the tomb. He's alive, praise God. And because he's alive, we have a hope. We have a living hope. Well, some theologians be believe that in the power of the Lord and they believe that you can be saved, but they also believe that you can live that way and be opposed to supernatural presence of the Lord. I say that's, those, that's an oxymoron. doesn't make sense to me. May I ask you, what kind of Bible would we have without Elijah being able to call fire down from heaven? and burning up the sacrifice in the 12 barrels of water, calling down fire on the prophets of Baal and executing all of them. Ooh, glory to God, what a beautiful story that is. One man killing 850, the four, 400 prophets and the 450 prophets of Baal, he killed them all himself. What about Daniel praying in the lion's den? The lions were hungry because in just a few hours, when the defiled people were thrown in, many of them thrown into the lions, then they were eaten, the Bible says, before they hit the ground. What about uh, the miracles of, uh, of the three Hebrew children going into the fiery furnace fire and they come out and they don't even smell like fire? There's no smoke on them. I believe in the supernatural. I believe that God knows how to meet us. Jesus healing the sick, delivering the broken, Peter being confronted by a, by a lame man as he was trying to go into the, into the temple. Could you give us some money, please? Peter says, silver and gold I don't have. But such as I do have, I'm going to give you now in the name of Jesus. Rise and walk and takes him by the hand and lifts him up. And so that man went walking and leaping and praising God into the temple. 
Don't take the supernatural out of the Word of God. It's all through there. I believe in the miraculous. I believe that the Holy Spirit is alive and wants to help you and me today. So, as I close today, just think about this. The disciples were told, you can't worship anymore. That's happening in our country right now. California, other places. New York, you can't worship anymore. We, can, we have no control over casinos. You can gamble and sit in there and eat and throw your money away. But, you know, you can do all that if you want to. You can go to Target, you can go to Walmart, you can, <clears throat> you can go to all of those places. But don't go to the church. So, a similar day was happening in Acts chapter 4. The disciples had been told, you can't even talk about that name anymore. That name bothers us. This is what they did. Acts 4, 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Would you say that with me? Great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They didn't want something for themselves. They said, when we pray for the sick, why don't you stretch your hand through ours? Why don't you do what only you can do as we pray? And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the same group that was, had, been, had received the Holy Spirit in filling just a few days earlier. But now they're filled, they're refreshed again. There's one baptism, but there are many refillings. And so, what happened? They went out and spoke the word of God boldly. The same people said, you can't go on our streets. You cannot meet in the temple. You can't do that anymore. They just went ahead and did it anyway. They spoke boldly, just like we are going to do. We are not going to be locked in the closet and refuse to tell anyone that our king is alive. I think that the secret of a victorious city is the king being honored. He's alive and we need not to be bashful. We need not to be intimidated. Let's go forth. Tell anybody you meet, Jesus is alive. So I'm going to ask you, of all the things you long for, what do you need the most? You need a car? <laughs> I see several of you nodding at me. Yes, I need a car. <laughs> you need a house. You need a bigger place. You need a better job. You need more business. Or could you agree with what I just said, that what we really need is power? Power to cleanse me from sin and keep me clean and help me be strong in the Lord. And the power, power to help me talk right and think right. And power to believe that what he did then, he's doing now. That's what I think I need the most. I want to close by quoting to you from an old book. It's not even in print anymore. Um, it's called Spoken by the Spirit. It's uh, compiled by Ralph Harris. And uh, I had, I've had several of these books. The most recent one fell apart. It just doesn't last long because it's old and everything. And um, so I mentioned that to Dr. Bullock, and he went and found one in a used bookstore and presented it to me not long ago. I've quoted stories from this book of what the Holy Spirit has done in our day 
through unusual circumstances. And I want to conclude by just telling you one story that I haven't shared in the other story, in the other services. This is in the city of Hilo, Hawaii. Or is that an island? Okay, got it. Hideko Sumida, age 15, was calling the pastor. Could you come and pray for my mother? She's very ill. The mother, in fact, was only semi-conscious. Hurrying across town to the apartment, which was over a fish house, Pastor and Mrs. Alfred Morrison found the mother lying on a mat on the floor. Her five children had found Christ as Savior and were tending this, uh, this church of Alfred Morrison led uh, in that particular city. The mother, however, was still Buddhist. In broken pidgin English, Morrison tried to tell the woman that Jesus could heal her, but he was very conscious of language limitations. To inspire her faith, he read a story from one of the Gospels, how Jesus healed a woman when he was here on earth. Suddenly, Alfred Morrison began speaking in other tongues in this lady's presence. Instantly, a change came over the woman. She became excited, clapping her hands and thanking the minister and his wife profusely. By that evening, she was able to cook the evening meal for her family. What had happened? According to her girls, the mother told them the pastor had related the whole Bible story story in pure Japanese that he didn't speak naturally, of course. It inspired her faith for healing, and later she found Christ as her Savior, too. All she needed to hear was the story of Jesus' power, and isn't it amazing what God did? This morning, I want to invite you to stand with me. We're here to worship the Lord who is moving and to be honored. Now, Lord, we welcome that which you alone can bring. I thank you that the world we live in is sarcastic and cynical and it's brutal. But people in your kingdom are tender. They're not timid. They just look to you like a servant looks to the hand of his master. We're looking to you, Master. We're looking to you, Jesus. We need your touch. We need your power.